We're going from quoting the Beastie Boys in our last episode to quoting George Bernard Shaw. Youth is wasted on the young. Clearly, good old George didn't meet any members of Gen Z, right? Gen Z, with all of its shifting priorities, is capable of stunning us with a real sense of advocacy for themselves and their future. Far from a waste. If you're like us and you have had a few yes, more of this moments listening in, and you're looking for some research and reasoning behind some of the things we have heard, you're in the right place. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. Thinking back to our Dirty Words and Unpopular Opinions episode from season one, one phrase that kept coming up as not being anyone's favorite was, we're living in unprecedented times. It was repeatedly dropped like an incredibly heavy burden on Gen Z children and teens just trying to get through it all and be normal-ish. Well, every generation has its burdens to bear, and we all need to remember that all generations are facing unprecedented times. And based on our conversation with our 16-year-old guest Taylor last time, this particular generation is not shying away from change learning or a sense of responsibility to the world and to each other. But with that being said, boomers, Gen X, and millennials like us are still the majority of the parents and teachers and mentors in Gen Z people's world. So how do we enhance our understanding of the unique challenges facing Gen Z and guide them to meet the road ahead with our best sense of support and empathy for them? So our intention with this episode is to reflect on the authentic learning in our last episode with a member of Gen Z and do what we do best, make connections, this time to translate what we heard to increase our understanding of Gen Z students and colleagues so that we are all speaking the same language. All right, so we had a really great conversation with Taylor last time we had recorded, and man, what a treat. Isn't she great? Oh my gosh, it was so awesome. Uh, Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous episode yet, you'll probably want to check in on that one first and just enjoy that kid. She's amazing. But today we're going to kind of jump into the research end of things, which brings us to our book, Mary Poppins. Casey, (laughs) what do you got for us? (laughs) Well, so one of the interesting things, just to give our listeners a peek behind the curtain, this particular episode was supposed to be a 30 minute one and done. But after hearing Taylor talk, we really felt like it was in our best interest to split it into two because what she was describing the way that she talked about her experiences as a student, as a learner, and what is truly meaningful to her are the exact same concept that Tim Elmore and Andrew McPeak wrote about in their Generation Z unfiltered book. As I was hearing her, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like ripped from the pages, everything she is describing. So we thought it would be a great opportunity for us to highlight some of the concepts that we heard in Taylor's interview that are a part of this particular book, but also some of the other things that not all kids are going to be as 
self-aware and reflective and socially aware like Taylor was. So there's some other pieces that we can talk about in the hopes of helping other members of Gen Z really move forward with their learning and being civilly engaged and positive members of our society. Yeah, Casey, I'm so thankful that you even brought that behind the curtain up because I feel like in talking with Taylor, what she really did was illustrate in a way that we oftentimes theorize about or we talk about like we think we know. But I'm just going to say this right now. If I hadn't mentioned it already, Taylor is family. She's my niece. And that was the first adult conversation in her 16 years that I've really had at length with her. So it was so eye-opening for me to see that like, hey, I see her often. I spend time with her socially in a family context. But to actually talk to her from a professionally confident way in which she was able to describe her lived experience as not only a student, but a person of this generation and what she dreams about for the future was mind-blowing to me. I was like, who is this person that I've known her whole life and yet I felt like I didn't know her? And so I just would encourage not only for anyone who hasn't heard it to go back, like Emily said, go back and listen, but also think about who is a Gen Z in your life and have you really sat down to talk to them in such a way that really asks them about their lived experiences and what their hopes and dreams are? Yes, and this really is why we wanted to do this second episode and I think why it matters so much to have deep conversations about and with Gen Z because Gen Z is a part of everybody's life. We all have somebody, and I would argue those of us in the education sphere have a lot of somebodies. Uh, mm -hmm. Look out in those classrooms. Those are many of our students, especially our secondary students. And look around at your last couple crops of new teachers. They are Gen Z, too. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny, Emily, you mentioned the new teachers component. I've heard in my role occasionally when bringing up the new crop of educators coming in, I'm hearing frustration from veteran teachers on this new quote unquote crop of teachers the way they're approaching students. And it really comes down to let's understand each other. Let's decode what values each of us has and simply just empathize with each other to, to really understand before we jump to judgment on, oh, these new teachers. No, no, no. <laughs> they're just being a different language and acting differently than we would. So it's important for us to engage in that deep empathetic listening for what we want and the way we see the world. Yes, you're talking about judgment, but I'm also thinking of all of the assumptions that I feel like I've made and how much this is really convicting me to learn more and to be that empathetic listener and also somebody who has to to practice some humility and realize that there's so much more for me to get out of learning from people like my niece, like our students, like our young colleagues. Very well put. So while we're thinking about that, I would like to kind of bring it back to that research that you mentioned in the Elmore and McPeak book, Casey. Could you help us ground this in some things that we want to consider, considering that there are so many people in our lives that we need to take a deeper look at? Absolutely. So one of the earlier sections of Generation Z Unfiltered unpacks the challenges that face this particular generation, Generation Z, that are very different than some of the challenges that we would have faced or the boomer generation, Generation X, millennials, different because the world is completely different for them. Two of which Taylor actually 
unknowingly mentioned during our conversation with her. So the first is stimulation without ownership. Our kids, and Taylor mentioned this in her commentary, they have access to so much entertainment, social interaction, right? But oftentimes they don't feel that sense of, I control the message, I control the world, I control the way I fit into this world. They are simply a part of it without any ownership or control. The other piece that Taylor mentioned is so much information now is readily accessible, but there's not a lot of accountability due to social media tools out there. You know, we have this perception that Snapchat and other tools, they instantly go away and there's no necessary accountability behind that. And so those were two things that she specifically brought up. And as you're saying this, Casey, I think this is really an important moment to hearken back to something that I forget one of you said earlier, and that was this idea of this isn't all of the kids like I definitely think that Taylor was really good at avoiding generalizing her generation or like treating herself as the voice of the whole generation we're definitely going to see some kids who maybe struggle more with one of these or with another and we're going to see some people who maybe already seem like they've developed their their brains in some of these areas but there's going to be a couple of these that are applicable and i think and that ties into another one of the challenges that are faced by generation z this concept of individualism right where i want to do what i want to do and i see an injustice happening and i want to take action and feeling responsible for making this happen but they're often without perspective. So sometimes you think of, or you see these videos, right, of different generations at work. Like the boomers are right there at 7.45 on Monday morning, ready to work. And the Gen Z ones are just not even in the chair yet. And it's 8.15. Like, you can't see necessarily how your actions can have a ripple effect with other individuals because a world of instant gratification, you don't have to necessarily take the time to reflect on others' perspectives, which is why we in education are trying to emphasize or refocus on social and emotional learning to help give kids those tools to take perspective. So many standards now, like social studies, are actually intentionally bringing in multiple perspectives because Gen Z is very much I-centric versus we-centric. And I don't think Taylor really brought that up or was apparent much in her conversation with us at all. But oftentimes, that's what we hear as a gripe about Gen Z. Yeah, Casey, as you're talking about it not maybe coming up in the conversation with Taylor, but there is a sense of urgency to being an advocate that I got from Taylor. And so there are also, even though that individualism without perspective may not be a struggle for all Gen Z, because I do believe there are so many that are naturally inclined to want to lean in the direction of advocacy for others. The other piece that I was thinking as you were talking, Casey, about what might be the perspective of a boomer who's there at 745 looking for, hey, why isn't the Gen Z sitting at their desk? I listen to different entrepreneur podcasts and they talk through some of the CEOs that have mentioned the shift in other industries, not just education in this area. And one of the fascinating things that I had heard from that is the part where they don't see it from their perspective as not being on time or not doing their job. In fact, because we're so dialed in, because they're so dialed in, because they're always connected, 
they're actually working around the clock, even if it doesn't look visually like your butt is in the seat. So like when they get up for the morning, they might even be working at home or on their phone or on their commute. So we just have to think about it differently in that regard, too, that sometimes the perceptions that we have as well also play into the challenges we have as we work together. Yes. And it did kind of remind me of something Taylor said, like when she was talking about how her generation's priorities about going to college and getting the job and doing the whole American dream white picket fence thing was not really the same thing that her generation necessarily values. It is interesting because I do think that sometimes the ability to empathize with other generations, if not adopting their own values, at least lies in working to understand their values. So yes, this individualism and this sense of ownership and understanding about how their perspective is changing. But I hope that there's some things that we can do to help them understand our perspective and have that perspective as well of what we or boomers or other generations that they work with and interact with might be going through so that this is kind of a a two-way dialogue. They understand why the boomers want to be on time and why they value that and in the same ways that we want to work to have us understand them better as well, you know? Mm I don't I did not just call myself a boomer right (laughs) (laughs) geriatric millennial hey (laughs) well and I think too Jenny you were talking earlier about Taylor mentioning this advocacy piece she felt very driven to speak up about what she perceived and rightfully so an injustice and oftentimes that is something that drives according to the research of Elmore and McPeak the involvement of Generation Z is a lot of what is driving them now it could be different areas right we're not just talking about social justice reforms and those sorts of pieces but these particular students want to be very involved in things but oftentimes they struggle with boundaries and limit mm-hmm. right and so it's important for them to realize that in a civil-minded civic engaged society there are certain boundaries and limits that have to be a part of the advocacy that you are and the involvement that you have and so we as educators and shapers and mentors of these young people have to continually model that healthy boundary setting and show them how they can work the system, but while still working in the system. Yeah, it's a framework. And you know me, I'm a proponent and I'm a lover of boundaries. We've talked about it on this pod before, but I feel like it's not just boundaries to shut people out, but boundaries to have healthy, meaningful relationships and to not perpetuate any cycles of toxicity or micromanagement or whatever it might be. So it it helps them in a kind way too, right? It's not just to put a boundary for the sake of restraining someone but in order to continue to have healthy, meaningful relationships with one another. Yeah, and I just see so many connections with this, you know, kind of going back to the parent university episode we had done on technology. I feel like that's one of those things that really throws the magnifying glass on some of these issues of this individualism and wanting of this wanting to be involved with everything and be in the mix and always be posting and, and putting content out there or sharing things like so many things go viral without real thought to whether that's even like a good or a 
appropriate mm-hmm. thing to share. You want them to navigate these boundaries both in their real world, but also in the digital world in spaces they inhabit. Yes. Casey, do you remember you were the one that said in that episode that Emily just referenced that Parent University with Tech was boundaries in that area is a sign of care. Care. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I promise I'm going to find my way. (laughs) Buckle up. Throwing in, (laughs) you know what I preface it, that's going to be a ride. So earlier I was mentioning our Generation Z unfiltered anchor text, but I was recently at a training with an author of a book called The Bullied Brain, Dr. Jennifer Frazier, I believe. She's a Canadian medis, meta doctorate, science, whatever. It doesn't right. matter. Quick, go Google it, Jenny. <laughs> yes, yes, go. <laughs> and in that book, Dr. Frazier talks about, if you think about one of the things that people often quote unquote gripe about with teenagers is their impulsivity, that individualism, that constant need to seek and to find. And she's saying that anthropologically about this age is when we, as we were evolving, would often leave our initial families and try to find a new family, a new tribe to be a part of. So that impulsivity that we often see as the teenage rebellion was actually something that evolved within us because those kids, teens, right, who took more risks, who had a little bit more strength (laughs) evolutionarily, passed those genes along, which is why we see that impulsivity happen in young people's brains. And so in this age of technology, where we often see kids driven by consumption, constantly posting need for approval of others, that comes from a very deep evolutionarily brain-driven way of being. And it's up to us as those mentors, teachers, and leaders of these to really help them overcome this challenge through metacognition and reflection. We've got to rewire that aspect of our brain that technology has actually made worse. I eventually got there. But I just <laughs> that's another challenge, right? This consumption without reflection, without thinking about the ultimate impact of what we do. Yeah. And that really does remind me of something that was said earlier in the intro about how every generation has kind of struggled with these periods of rebellion. And it's nice to see what that neuroscientific and um, anthropological link is going through. But it it really does make me think that this is, while not unique to Gen Z, that there are things Mm -hmm. like technology that have really magnified certain aspects that already exist in the teenage and early 20s experience. And just from the Googling, I failed. This is my first fail. You guys... I missed the first name, Casey, so I couldn't even fact check you <laughs> when you were talking. Was it what was her first yes. name? I got a Jennifer, Jennifer but I didn't Jen- your name. It was your name. Oh, dang it! <laughs> and there's lots of ways to spell Fraser. So yes, author of the Bullied Brain. Yep, Dr. Jennifer Fraser. Yes. What was I googling again? Yes. Yeah, you got her. Oh, just to make yeah, sure she got the name. <laughs> and, and I failed. And, they, and we're just going to ignore the fact that Jenny forgot her own name. Her own name. <laughs> well, and I think the last challenge that's proposed in Generation Z Unfiltered is opportunity, right? It's kids, I, I sound like such an old person when I say this. Kids these days, Generation Z these okay, days. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Sorry. They have, they have 
so many opportunities, right, available to them. More kids are finding different ways to make their way in the world, whether that's direct to work, whether that's college, whether that's career or technical education. There's so many different ways for you to make your own way in the world. But we're also seeing that this particular generation has heightened anxiety and really struggles with executing resilience skills, the ability to face and recover from adversity. And so again, why we've been trying to emphasize in schools more social emotional learning to help meet that particular challenge. I think it's really important to talk through that idea of resilience and what it actually means. So there's an author to the book Resilient Life. Her name is Rebecca Lyons. You don't even have to Google me because I was doing it while Casey was talking. But Rebecca Lyons (laughs) is the author of resilient life. And she talks through what it means to be resilient. And oftentimes, the origin of the word resilience came from like bouncing back. Like there's this popular idea of resilience means being able to bounce back when you reach adversity, right? But what she talks about in her book is actually what resiliency means is that you have had repeated exposure to adversity and challenge over time and you lean into it and you learn how to not bounce back, but you learn how to cope with the adversity or with the challenges that you have. And so if you think about anyone under the age of 20, how many life experiences have they really had to develop resiliency, let alone to have had it noticed and named and explicitly taught? So we also want to have that lens of acceptance and understanding and empathy for anyone that's in Gen Z that is working through learning how to be resilient. It takes time. And so us as those mentors or those teachers or those parents of anyone that is a Gen Z, they need that help. They need that guidance to be able to help them through learning how to be resilient. Yes. And it just, it ties so much to instructional things too. I think when we think about like overtly teaching SEL, I definitely remember Taylor was kind of like, yep, we're going to tune you right out. <laughs> you, yep. Yep. You know, yep. but when you think about what some of the opportunities are to put it into our instruction. So one of the things I think about is how a particular hill I tend to die on is student choice, but I've also mm-hmm. used the term choice paralysis more Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years than I ever had before because there are so many situations I'm seeing where they don't even necessarily have the resilience to make and stick to a choice when given a certain number of choices or asked to kind of freeform pitch something that they want to do rather than being given the assignment and the parameters and the rubric and you know all the info about it so instructionally how we provide choice, how often we provide choice, the ways in which we provide choice, and the ways that students are able to learn from maybe not making the right one right away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can be a really powerful Frustrating thing. through. Yeah, frustrating yep. through. Yep. And I would also say, I mean, and again, not to go hard into the episode tiebacks too, but I think of the failure episode of how we can create mm-hmm. safe intentional ways for students to fail in the classroom. Uh, I was coaching a teacher on that recently. What were some opportunities she could set up even for students to hit bumps in the road in a way that's safe and they have to work through where they can analyze what went wrong and what they might Mm -hmm. do if it happened again in a way that's really authentic to the task that they're trying to do. Well, and two, with all of these pieces, I know where I'm jumping into our strategy zone. Oh, please, some save of the me a transition. <laughs> right? <laughs> but some of those challenges of responsibility, accountability, perspective, reflection. If you recall from our very first episode of this season, restorative practices, mm-hmm. like it's not another thing to do the SEL curriculum. It's all the meaningful thing. 
you know, where you ask kids to think about what you were thinking, how might you do this differently, what happened, reflect and grow those skills. That's why you see this push for restorative justice and restorative practice now, because it's catered and tailored to no pun intended yeah. to what these students need right mm-hmm. and this generation needs different skills than we yes. might have needed back in our day there i go i'm the old one right now yep. <laughs> geriatric who's geriatric now <laughs> you're geriatric or whatever <laughs> now in the generations the unfiltered book tim elmore and andrew mcpeak do unpack six different opportunities that mentors and educators and even parents can leverage to help Gen Z or believe it or not, Gen A. They're actually starting to, our young kiddos would be considered Gen A. To help these, I know, to help these young people actually mature and grow. And the first two are really indicative of what Taylor mentioned in our conversation with her. She had shared that probably one of her most meaningful learning experiences was working on that uh, musical or that play production, right? She got to authentically work with teams to create something that was truly meaningful for her. And in the book, kids, Generation Z, truly need to chase a meaningful goal, something that they are personally motivated to achieve. And ultimately, they need to wait and work for something they want that will help them build those resilient skills, help them take that sense of ownership and responsibility, because it's not going to be instantly given to them. So providing students opportunity to work for and chase something that they are really and truly motivated by. Yes, yes, yes. And Mm -hmm. I could talk so much about how powerful goal setting and again, metacognition is in the classroom, but I'll spare you and actually just go straight into the adult learning end of things when it comes to coaching, right? And when we are setting meaningful goals, think about how many more people we're now coaching through that are Gen Z. As we mentioned, there are a lot of our colleagues now that are entering the profession Mm -hmm. that are also in need of mentorship as well. That's a whole other segment. It's different than coaching. But nonetheless, if we're coaching them or mentoring them, it is really, really important to be not just setting a bland goal, but setting a meaningful goal. And that's why I love peers goals. For example, Mm -hmm. it's an acronym that includes one of the letters is emotionally compelling. That piece is so powerful. And oftentimes we're kind of quick to set that aside for the sake of getting it done. But if we don't really pull in the pieces that people are passionate about, it's really, really hard to gain momentum and traction into where we want to go next. And that includes especially those entering our profession now. Mm -hmm. I love, Jenny, that you brought up that concept of coaching too, because that's another opportunity. Having space and having ways to practice a new habit that's what you could do with a coach so that's why you're seeing more emphasis on small group instruction on teacher shifting to a facilitative coach role versus that primary content provider because that gives students the space and opportunity to chase something that's interesting to them and to practice that habit in a safe environment And ultimately, it takes like 24 tries to truly develop a habit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's crazy. 
Well, and that does connect even outside of, you know, instruction learning and coaching, even just to like that sustainable change idea of like having a habit that sticks. I've said this a lot about exercise. I'm sure I didn't invent this concept, but uh, (laughs) let's just pretend I did that the best exercise for yourself is the one that you will do. So same thing with the best type of practice or the best habit to practice is the one that you will do. And it's because like these two link together. It's because it's emotionally compelling or meaningful to you. So that is why you will see some kids work really, really hard to beat a level in a video game. It's meaningful to them. Being good at that thing is something they've invested time and they want to do that and maybe won't have the exact same type of resilience with their math homework. It's because it's not tied into a passion. Yeah, and I know we want to move on probably to some other things we can leverage, but there's one last thing I want to say about this. Clearly, I love it. But this ties back to even the concept of how our educational system was developed under the industrialized era, which was let's mass produce on a standardized scale of the same thing over and over and over again. And when we think about goal setting, it's got to be unique. And when we're teaching and when we're in the classroom and we're designing lessons, and if we are making cookie cutter molded lessons that don't encourage or allow for students to have that personalized goal setting for their learning needs within the classroom, we're not doing ourselves any favors either. We may think that we're saving time by, (laughs) I'm losing, what is the Henry Ford? Assembly line. Thank you. (laughs) Assembly line. We want it to be more efficient by just making it the same for everybody. But really, that's not what our kiddos need these days. So Jenny, I'm going to connect something that you just said. If students right, have this personalized goal that they have set for themselves that is intentionally meant to stretch them, another opportunity that helps Gen Z grow is doing those scary things. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself out there can be really scary, but ultimately makes that maturation happened, which reminds me of the situation that Taylor described about standing up to somebody when she felt like an injustice had taken place. That is something she is going to remember for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. She got a sense of pride from it. She was able to adhere to her values and speak up. That's going to change her life and ties into that doing something scary. I love that. It's not easy to stand up for that. Yeah. But I do think that's really how someone like Taylor or any of us really develops our backbone Mm -hmm. is you earn your medal by trying to work through something that might be intimidating. But that's that's how you find your voice. Absolutely. As much as we complain about the accessibility and prevalence of these technology tools, they really can help if used for one of these last two ways that can help generations immature. The first is to meet someone influential and next to travel someplace different. And that travel can be, yes, going and immersing yourself in another culture or in a different community other than the one you live in. But it can also be meaningful to see what other people are going through and technology facilitates that so much easier. Like there are these apps out there now where you go into a room and you meet some random person. That can be incredibly scary, (laughs) but there's a reason why the kids are driven to those spaces and it's because that novelty, that sense of newness of being able to explore someplace else. 
it really does tie back to that individualism without perspective one, right? I mm-hmm. think this idea of coming to someone who is influential, not just because they're your best friend and they're the same as you, but to be able to meet different people from different places and see the impact that they have on their life. So again, I love the idea of bringing people in through technology or the lit nerd in me is like, what new voices or opportunities through reading? What new influences can you find through authors and, and experiences that you come to through the written word as well? So, you know, English majors unite, but that's another opportunity for mm-hmm. us as well. And just another way to tie in SEO as well. I mean, giving the opportunity to talk through what it means to be influential versus an influencer and mm-hmm. and having those mm-hmm. conversations around all of the input that this generation is getting and being able to evaluate who are the people that not only do do I want to learn from, but possibly be associated with and who would I consider to be reputable all along those lines are important skills that they need to. Yep. Yeah, so that was a lot and not a little time, but really good stuff there. So I think like we do, it would be great to kind of go back through and say what were some of the takeaways or real standout things that we've been discussing about either the challenges or the opportunities that we have when we're working with Gen Z or like you said, even Gen A. The takeaway I have is many districts are creating student advisories where they give students that voice and give them a platform to kind of share with leaders to help design what schools should look like, sound like, and feel like. And I truly think that that needs to continue to occur. And I also, again, stressing that we have the same for our parents, for our community, and for our teachers that are not just representative of the most veteran teachers, right? But including different stakeholders from different generational groups to incorporate that unique perspective. So by listening to Taylor, that was kind of one of my takeaways is the importance of engaging in those very intentional, empathetic listening conversations. I might be cheating here when I say this, but I didn't get to do a take. We didn't do takeaways in our last episode while Taylor is here. And I kind of want to pull from that one instead of this, because I do think it still applies to this episode, obviously, because this is part two. And I mentioned this earlier, but that's why it's just been so profound to me is you can know a person. I know my niece, but did I know her? Until we actually built the framework for this conversation and asked her these questions in this way. I got to know her so much differently and on such a higher level than I ever had before. And I'm so grateful for that. But it is also such a humble teacher and that I don't know a lot. There's so much more for me to learn. And in this regard, I'm so grateful to learn from my niece, but learn from this generation. And I'm excited to continue to do that with others as well. You made me kind of springboard into an idea that I I do think links a lot of these ideas together, and that is the importance of getting to know our Gen Z students. I know we've talked a Mm -hmm. lot through the years about relationship building and why it is so important, but I'm looking at all of these different opportunities of how we can leverage the things that we know about Gen Z to help them learn their best, And, and it does seem to come from a place of knowing them, of knowing them as people, not just like, oh, Gen Z, that's what they're all like, but avoid these generalizations learning people for who they are and then figuring out like how to create a safe space where they can lead themselves into these meaningful scary Mm -hmm. influential 
important things that really deeply matter to them. And they're going to surprise us for the better when we do this, just like Taylor surprised you, Jenny. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that there's so much opportunity there. And it all starts with this beautiful sense of needing to know and care for our members of Gen Z in the same way we ourselves wish to be cared for. And maybe in new ways so that we can really let them come out and be who they are. And to final thoughts, Emily, you just said a phrase like safe spaces. Mm -hmm. We've used that before. And recently I said, and I think it applies to Gen Z, some of the pieces we were talking about with involvement and opportunity and individualism. I think we want to move from safe space to brave spaces because I think this is most likely going to be an incredibly brave generation when it comes to social issues. So challenging assumptions, coming as you are, acknowledging the benefit of being who you are. I think we could learn, I could personally learn a lot from Gen Z. Oh yeah, I think we all could. And have, and will continue. Right on. All right. So that said, are we ready to goof off and play a little as we do? Um, (laughs) And age ourselves? Yeah, let's be be the slacker geriatric millennials we are and play a little game. (laughs) So this particular game, we've batted around a few ideas back and forth. And we could try to look cool like we did in the last episode with Taylor. But we're just going to lean into our dorkiness. We're going to kind of play a this or that. But many music artists that still are active today were actually active around or near the time when we were all Taylor's age. Mm-hmm. Emily may be on the little high end. <laughs> I am one year older than you. Just one. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some artists and we're going to kind of do with this or that, thinking about if that music has aged or if we still consider them super bangers now. Before we start, can I request or invite one thing? Yes. So we were talking prior to hitting record about how we wish we could have like a soundboard here and start playing this music without it actually, <laughs> without it actually <laughs> violating any copyright. But since we can't, and we have such a wonderful performer amongst us with Casey. <laughs> I just want to invite you at any point, if you feel like singing or carrying a tune so that our listeners that are here can get a sense for what the song is, by all means, the invitation is open. Do something scary, Casey. <laughs> Well, now it's just going to be weird. (laughs) It's sort of like I would have done it naturally, but my husband, right? He's like, you expect me now to do the laundry. Now it's not special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it if it comes, if not, it's all right. But just we'll see. I will do what I can. Inspiration strikes. Absolutely. Okay. So our first partnered paired song we all know from the late 90s early 2000s the boy band bubblegum pop golden age right and one of our artists who has come out of that era unscathed is the infamous illustrious industrious all of which are the same because (laughs) hashtag britney he did her wrong justin timberlake And if you recall, one of his number one hits as a solo artist was Rock Your Body. Rock your body. 
face, face. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even do it justice. And he recently in 2020 has been, or really in the last four to five years, has been kind of making the theatrical circuits and has had a number of amazing songs as part of the Trolls soundtrack. So one of them being with a collaborator. We are totally going to butcher it because we're old. SZA or S. Z A. Um, we don't side. know. <laughs> yeah. Caesar, yeah, we don't know. But which would you rather choose, friends? Okay, so I I've thought long and hard about this, and I'm I'm glad you butchered the pronunciation first because it's going to come up here as well. Yeah, I love the other side, and the trolls movies are a favorite in my house, particularly for my little little Jennies, but. I feel like the other side belongs as much to his collaborator as it does to Justin. Mm -hmm. I feel like she is so present in the chorus of that song and she's SZA or what have you. She's really good. And like that song is a banger, mostly arguably because of her, even if he wrote it, produced it. Mm -hmm. But she lays the track. So in terms of full ownership over the song, let's go with Rock Your Body. And you can't argue with that baseline, baby. Right. Well, and to me, if you listen to both of them side by side, the other side essentially has the same track. It kind of really. does. <laughs> so in that case, nothing better than the original, right? Rock your body. That would be mine. Even though I'm kind of identifying myself more as a Backstreet Boy lover as I'm listening back to my 90s nostalgic didn't we fight about know. that in a previous episode? We I feel did. like we did. <laughs> if not, it's coming. And Casey, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to call you out on because I can't edit that out. Our listeners are going to hear your ice chinkling away. So put your drink down, girl. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm she's sorry. like tinkling it next to the mic. She's already ready to dance. I also rock your body. I'm rocking my body. You got to rock the <laughs> <laughs> JT, I mean, I can't find a JT song that I don't like. I'd be hard pressed to find one. But again, I go back to it's just the nostalgia of it. Got to pick the original. Awesome. So we are all in uniform, I think. Mm -hmm. I feel like we should get something for agreeing. (laughs) You all get a a whole cup, metallic cup full of ice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Rock your body. Make some noise. (laughs) It's like her instrument. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, let's talk about another uh, artist who has, again, a career that has spanned the series of decades, Beyonce. She had probably Mm -hmm. one of the most memorable songs of 2003, Crazy in Love. Well, in late 2022, she released another album, Renaissance. And so from that particular album, I'm putting forth Break My Soul as the one that we are choosing from. Okay, I can go first again. I've probably put way too much thought into this, (laughs) but I'm going to play it out. I'm going with Break My Soul. And the reason for that is Crazy in Love is a banger. The brass is awesome. But I hate when women in relationships are called crazy. I don't like oh, that. Interesting. I, I think w- there is has been just so much of women with strong feelings being referred to and even learning to refer to themselves as crazy. I'm just kind of past that being a fun concept to hear about right. or listen to. Ergo, 
break my soul. Let's go. And to me, they're perfect bookends, right? Mm. Like I'm crazy in love. I've lost my faculties. And then now in break my soul, we're in a situation, in a relationship maybe, or something. We're not going to let that get us down. We're going to release our wiggle, meaning our heart, who we are. And that is one of those songs that just right now helps boost my mood and my spirit. So I'm a break my soul girl all the way. Release that wiggle with ice. <laughs> Release the wiggle. Release. <laughs> <laughs> you will break my soul. You will. I'm oh, sorry. There See? you go, Jenny. Got yeah, it yeah. for you. All right. Well, I'm going to match you here with a uh-oh, uh-oh, a uh, no-no. Uh oh, uh oh, oh no, no, because that's what I chose. Oh no. Yeah, so I chose Crazy in Love. Again, another nostalgia, probably because I just am not yet as familiar with the Renaissance album. But I did go prior to this recording, go back and listen to the ones that I wasn't sure of. This I have not heard of yet. Oh my gosh, I'm so out of touch. However, the vocals are on point. I mean, they're great, but I just couldn't pick it because I haven't really experienced it like the Crazy in Love. Truly, go on a renaissance dive. It will change your mood incredibly. <laughs> I agree. How do you choose between that and Lizzo, Casey? You don't. I, I'm Lizzo. I'm, I'm still Lizzo. <laughs> still a Lizzo. Not cheating on Lizzo. Fit girls for life. All the way. So. <laughs> okay, our next song. Let's talk about Pink. Now, Pink is one of those artists that I still will listen to her songs from the 2000s and just get a a great jive. But she also has a new album that I am equally in love with right now. So let's look at, let's get this party started. I'm coming up, so you better get this party started. I knew she would embrace this, Emily. Look at her. Yeah. Um, She's past the awkwardness of this one. (laughs) Remember, you heard the ice twinkling in my mouth. (laughs) I like that we've used a different verb for it every time. That's great. Um, And then the song Trustfall off of her new album, Trustfall. So I'll start with this one. As much as I love early pink, I am finding as I have aged... I'm really more so in alignment with her newer stuff. And I recently was facilitating a a training on trauma. And this song came on as my intro playlist. And I truly started to bawl because it just had this amazing emotional connection that, you know, we're hurting, we're in a place that feels dark but we have to lean into that belief. It's such a mature, meaningful, and intentional song. And Pink has a lot of those. So I'm definitely leaning on Trustfall right now. So this was the first time I heard Trustfall, but it got me right away. <gasps> right? I was like, I would run to this song. Wait, it makes me want to yeah. run? This must be a really yes. good song. So uh, with that in mind... I- I, I'm also going to own something. I don't like early pink. I don't like angry, yeah. ragey, punk pink. I like <laughs> cool, inspirational mom pink. I'm sorry. She's been mm-hmm. better since she became a mother. And I think just her music really exploded and like found a message yes. more recently. And I think it's great. Yes. So, and that song is cool to listen to. And I think as we talk about the beauty of maturation and owning mm-hmm. your age. I love that. I love that so much. And I didn't know which one to choose for this one. You can clearly see that I was not the one to choose these songs. Again, hadn't heard Trust Fall until listening to this one. It's phenomenal. It's great. And again, I'd much rather go for the depth 
over the superficial. I'm too old to get parties started anymore. <laughs> yeah, we go to bed. We go to bed at eight when we're not recording. Yeah, I mean, or at least I do. But I do need some trust falling. This so. is our party. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> party. Yes. I mean, we got to watch out for our backs, though. So let's trust fall onto like a cushion or something, right? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, and then our next song is. I have an adversarial relationship with this artist. Please, no one come for me. Good luck. I'm going um, to come for you. you but dude. No, I know. I know. Casey, um, you better lock your doors more, at night. <laughs> I know. Any of my former students will tell you that I have a deep rooted disdain for Taylor Swift. So our first song <laughs> in our pairing is Teardrops on My Guitar. And then from her most recent album, Midnight, Antihero. So which would we choose? Going with Antihero. I think sobbing your heart out after some dumb boy who, like, doesn't even look at you is, yeah. I mean, we've all been there, but, I mean, maybe we haven't. But I, I don't know. Like, just, it's it's very young, you know? It seems mm-hmm. like the type of thing that she might even look back on and be like, yeah, whatever. Whereas anti-hero, I think, is grounded in some self-knowledge, some recognizance of one's own faults. So even thinking of the SEL things we talk about, like that self-awareness, it mm-hmm. it mentions things that she struggles with and is far more self-aware than her baby Taylor stuff. And I like Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and I like that song. And I just like singing it to my dogs who are often the problem. It's them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I'm choosing anti-hero too. I mean, it is pop culture like it is just infiltrated Mm -hmm. it is everywhere how could you not because it's catchy and it's it's interesting and it's applicable to so many things and it's funny (laughs) how could you not so anti-hero for sure and and i would agree we are all matchy matchy so we are getting three perfectly sized gorgeous looking bedazzled bejeweled bodysuits for all of us <laughs> oh wait we and, matched and on trust fall too do we get any swag for that we did yeah well, we get an all expenses paid trapeze lesson courtesy oh, of glg yeah oh, i'm gonna have to engage my like... core we're in trouble all right <laughs> while wearing our bedazzled bodysuits i'm totally screwed but i would also say anti-hero i feel like that has been a theme song to my year so far and so it just to me it makes me smile when I hear it and truly early Taylor Swift is like nails on a chalkboard it is so trite and teenage angsty Gen Z here we go Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though millennial it, it just doesn't have like that same depth that I typically look for in my artists. So yeah. definitely an anti-hero girl myself. She's self-aware now. Make some room in your heart mm-hmm. for Taylor, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wrapping up this episode, as we like to do, we typically like to take a peek at what's ahead. But before we do, I want to thank all of you, our listenership, for tuning in to season three of the Grounded Learners Guild. We had so much fun this season. We got to talk about some really interesting topics. We discovered the two-parter. We've had a lot of fun with this season, and we're really grateful to all of our listenership and everybody who engages with us through this podcast. We're looking to take a little bit of a break coming into summer, as teachers often do and should in the name of caring for ourselves and our families and engaging in some professional journeys of our own. But with that in mind, 
keep your ears to the wire. Keep your eyes open. There's going to be some GLG content this summer, so look for it. We'll be releasing a few things here and there to keep in touch and keep us learning through the summer. So looking forward to all of it. Thanks again. See you in season four, y'all. See you in four. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget... In the meantime, do your best to stay grounded. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me.